0: We must all remember the lessons of the past as a guide for the management of the present and the planning for the future. I am the son of sugar workers who hasn't forgotten his roots. Welcome to the Pepper Pot. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Pepper Pot.
1: Lord Harding, Viceroy of India from 1910 to 1916, was among the earliest figures to launch public attacks against the indenture system, citing, among other things, grave recruiting irregularities, high death and suicide rates on plantations, sexual immorality in immigrant camps, and mounting prosecutions for minor infractions. Mahatma Gandhi also played an important role in the abolition of indentureship. In particular, his 1906 Satyagraha campaign in South Africa marked the beginning of the struggle against British rule in India.
0: In fact, by 1915, as the Indian nationalist movement grew in strength and popularity, more and more people became aware of the inhumane conditions under which indentured laborers were forced to work. Indian nationalist groups, magazines, and journals soon began sending representatives to British colonies to report on the conditions of indentured laborers. They published articles that highlighted the injustices and brutality of the system, exposing the exploitation and abuse of the Indian laborers. You see, these reports were widely circulated throughout India and were instrumental in galvanizing public opinion against the indenture system. The reports also had an impact on the British authorities, who were forced to take note of the growing unrest and opposition to indentureship. Pressure from both India and Britain led to the suspension of the indenture system on March 12, 1917. Anti-indentureship protests would continue until the British and Indian governments completely abolished the system on January 1, 1920. But while the institution of indentureship has been dismantled, our people still feel its effects today. A prime example is the word "coolie," which derives from the Tamil word kuli, meaning wages or higher. Portuguese traders and merchants used the word in the late 16th century to describe the men that they hired to carry loads at the docks along India's coast. The term eventually came to be used more broadly to refer to anyone doing menial work for pay.
1: Following the abolition of slavery, coolie became a derogatory term used by planters and overseers to refer to indentured Indians. They were considered inferior to other groups in the region, including the English, Scottish, Irish and descendants of African slaves. The term was used to assert power over our people and to remind them of their menial status. Its use also contributed to tensions between Indians and Africans. In fact, things got so bad that in 1956, the future Prime Minister of Trinidad called for an end to the use of the term, as well as the N word. As V.S. Naipaul alludes to in A Way in the World, Our collective story showcases the dilemma of transplanted people thrown together with others with whom they must forge a life and uphold the myth of being a community in the world.
0: But the fact is that many of us in the diaspora, including myself, struggle with trying to establish an identity for ourselves. For some, we are neither South Asian or Indian, and for others, we are neither Caribbean nor South American. Our identities are often assumed by our physical appearances which has had dire consequences for our brothers and sisters you see one story that stands out to me is that of 19-year-old Indo-Trinidadian man named Rishi Maharaj on September 21, 1998 22 years after Sami Narain suicide in Edmonton Alberta Rishi was severely beaten in South Ozone Park Queens according to a New York Times article published around the same time Rishi was singled out by residents who wanted to quote beat up an indian The incident began around 9.30 p.m. Rishi and his two cousins had just left the home of their uncle, Prakash Gopi. On the way home, Rishi allegedly made some comments about a plane that seemed to be flying too close to the ground. The three suspects were sitting on a nearby stoop and ordered Rishi to keep his voice down. Rishi apologized, but it was already too late. The three men rushed towards Rishi and began punching, kicking, and beating him with baseball bats. Rishi continued to apologize until he lost consciousness. Meanwhile, his cousins ran to get help, and within minutes, Mr. Gopi ran from his house with a cutlass to help his nephew. But despite Mr. Gopi's best efforts, the suspects wrestled the cutlass away and proceeded to assault him as well. When Rishi finally got to a hospital, he was treated for numerous facial fractures and a broken jaw that needed a steel plate to hold it together. You see, the history of my people is one of migration colonial violence, trauma, and survival. It is the history that has forced us to live on the margins, interrupted, apologetic, silent, and indentured. All until now. I am the son of sugar workers who hasn't forgotten his roots. Welcome to the Pepper Pot.
1: Caribbean means belonging to a unique cultural identity that has been shaped by centuries of migration, colonialism, survival, and resilience. Indo-Caribbean people are descended from Indian indentured laborers who were brought to the Caribbean in the late 19th and early 20th centuries to work on sugar plantations after slavery was abolished. Over time, they developed their own distinct culture, which is a unique combination of Indian, African, European, and Caribbean influences. Despite the rich cultural heritage of Indo-Caribbean people, their story remains largely untold. As Brenda Beck wrote in a 1992 South Asian Diaspora article,
0: The task of forming an image of our people has been left mainly to the media, which has done little more than pick up derogatory international stereotypes about Indian poverty, female oppression and the like, and apply them to us. So what does it mean then to be Indo-Caribbean? Well, it means to have a cultural identity that is shaped by a history of displacement and resilience. It means to speak English as a mother tongue, but to also have a connection to Indian languages and dialects. It means watching Bollywood movies like Kuch Kuch Hota Hai, Til and Kalho Naho with English subtitles, and dancing to Hindi film songs at birthdays, weddings, and basement chants. It means to have an interest in cricket, dance, and music that is more Caribbean than Indian, but to still maintain a connection to the cultural heritage of our ancestors. For example, our food is a delicate combination of Indian and Caribbean flavors that reflects the history of our people. And while it uses many of the same spices and ingredients as traditional Indian dishes, it also includes local Caribbean ingredients such as plantain, cassava, and seafood. A big shout out to Guyana Shrimp, if you know you know but we also have a rich tradition of music and dance that reflects our unique cultural identity. Chutney music, for example, is a genre of music that originated in Trinidad and Tobago and is a fusion of Indian and Caribbean music styles. It reflects the creative energy and resilience of the Indo-Caribbean people who have adapted their cultural traditions to their new environment to create something new and unique. Dagla is a term that has its roots in the Bhojpuri dialect of Hindi, spoken by many of Indians who migrated as indentured laborers to the Caribbean in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Originally used in North India to describe a person born to parents of different castes, Dugla carries a strong connotation of pollution in Orthodox Hinduism, which sees relationships across caste as illegitimate. You see, the word was used to denote a person of mixed heritage and in the Caribbean, it was applied mainly to the children of Black and Indian parents. The use of the term dougla in the Caribbean carries with it the same negative connotations that it did in North India. The word is used to imply that the person is of impure or mixed blood, and as such, it is a form of discrimination that perpetuates a divisive social hierarchy based on race and ethnicity. As I sit here reflecting on the impact of the term dougla, I am struck by the magnitude of its effect on members of my community. The use of this word is not simply a matter of semantics, but rather, it is deeply intertwined with the complex history of colonization and oppression that has shaped the Caribbean and its people. At its core, the use of the word serves to reinforce a system of discrimination that has historically targeted people of mixed heritage. It also serves as a painful reminder of the legacy of colonialism and its ongoing impact on the Caribbean. You see, The fact is that the colonial project was built on a foundation of racial hierarchy and oppression, and the use of derogatory terms like Cooley and Dougla reinforces these systems of power and privilege. In many ways, it can also be seen as a form of cultural erasure. By reducing individuals to a single derogatory label, the term dismisses the rich and diverse cultural histories and experiences of those who are of mixed heritage. This erasure not only harms individuals and communities, but also creates a society that is devoid of the rich tapestry of cultural diversity that makes the Caribbean such a vibrant and unique region. In recent years, however, I have seen how the word Douglas is being reclaimed and redefined by those who identify as such. This reclamation is a powerful act of resistance against the systems of oppression and discrimination that have historically targeted individuals of mixed heritage across the Caribbean.
1: One way that the reclamation of the term Douglas is being carried out is through cultural and artistic expression. Musicians, poets, and visual artists are creating works that celebrate the diversity of Caribbean cultures and challenge the harmful effects of derogatory labels. Through their art, they are asserting the right of individuals to define themselves and their identities and are creating spaces where the complexities and richness of Caribbean culture can be celebrated. In addition, there has been a growing movement among Caribbean scholars and activists to reclaim and rewrite the histories of the region in order to recognize the contributions and experiences of individuals of mixed heritage. This includes research that sheds light on the lived experiences of those who identify as Douglas and that challenges the dominant narratives that have perpetuated systems of discrimination and oppression.
0: You see, as someone who identifies as Indo-Caribbean, I am inspired by the ways in which individuals and communities are reclaiming the use of the term Dugla. It is a reminder that our identities are not defined by the labels that have been imposed upon us, but rather by our own experiences, choices, and connections to our cultural roots. As I reflect on these issues, I am reminded of the importance of valuing and celebrating the diversity of our collective cultural heritage. Guyana is a frequently misplaced and mispronounced nation in the West. Formerly British Guyana, this small South American nation is nestled between Brazil, Venezuela, Suriname, and the Atlantic Ocean. She remains the only official English-speaking country in South America. The land of many waters and the land of my people.
1: Before the Spanish, Dutch, French, and British colonial powers, Guyana was inhabited by the Arawak and Carib indigenous tribes. In no time, these tribes were forced deep into the interior parts of the surrounding rainforests. Africans were soon brought to the region as slaves to work the sugar plantations. And when slavery was abolished, Britain turned to indentured servitude to maintain their enormous wealth and grip on power in the region. While some returned to India after completing their indentured contracts, many stayed, with ambitions of starting a family and building a better life. For years, these stories were lost to the pages of history books until the children and grandchildren of those indentured workers began to trace their roots, combing through government archives and ship records, hoping to connect with the land and people that had long forgotten them.
0: So as I reflect on the first time I came across the idea of tracing one's Indian roots, I am reminded of the sense of curiosity and fascination that washed over me. You see, it was in reading Gayatri Bahadur's Koli Woman, The Odyssey of Indenture, that I first learned of the stories of the men and women who were brought to the Caribbean as indentured laborers. Through her vivid descriptions and detailed accounts, Bahadur painted a picture of the harsh realities faced by indentured Indians as they left their homes and families behind in search of a better life in the Caribbean. You see, reading about the struggles and triumphs of Indian indentured laborers, struck a chord deep within me as I began to think about my own ancestral roots and the stories that had been passed down through the generations. I felt a sense of connection to my ancestors, despite the fact that our experiences and circumstances were vastly different. It was through their stories that I began to understand the importance of heritage and the value in knowing where we come from. As I continued to explore the idea of tracing my Indian roots, I came across the stories of two former Prime Ministers of Trinidad and Tobago, Bhaste Opande and Kamala Prasad Besasar, whose ancestors hailed from Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, respectively. Learning about their journey and the struggles they faced as they sought to build a new life in a foreign land was both inspiring and humbling. It reminded me of the resilience and strength that is often inherent in those who have faced adversity and who have overcome it. Through my exploration of these stories, I have come to understand the importance of honoring our roots and preserving the stories of those who came before us. It is through these stories that we gain a deeper understanding of ourselves and our place in the world. And it is through our connection to our heritage that we are able to build a sense of identity and belonging. As I reflect on my own ancestry, I am struck by a sense of longing and curiosity. I often find myself wishing that I knew more about my ancestors and the journey that they took from India to the Caribbean. Which ship did they come on? What part of India did they come from? What plantations were they taken to? This longing to know more about my ancestors is not just born out of curiosity, but also a desire to connect with my heritage and understand more about my own identity. It is through knowing the stories of those who came before us that we are able to build a sense of connection and belonging, and to understand the experiences that have shaped our family history. You know, at times I feel a sense of frustration that the details of my ancestors' journey are not readily available to me can be difficult to trace one's ancestry, particularly when it involves the legacy of indentured labor and the challenges of migration and displacement. And yet, despite these challenges, I am reminded of the importance of continuing on this journey and to honor the stories of those who came before me. I am grateful, though, for the details that I do know about my ancestors. The names of my great-grandparents, the places that they lived and worked, and the traditions that they passed down to the generations. But I also recognize there is so much more to learn, so many more stories waiting to be uncovered. But ultimately, I believe that our connection to our ancestry is an ongoing process, one that requires patience, persistence, and a willingness to engage with the past. And so, even as my desire for more information about my ancestors grows stronger, I am reminded of the value in cherishing the stories that I do know, and in continuing to seek out the missing pieces of the puzzle. The Sola Shringar, or the sixteen adornments of married women and brides, is amongst the most beautiful and meaningful traditions of our people. Among the many exquisite ornaments that make up this sacred collection, there is one that holds a special place in my heart, the thick gold bracelets and bangles that Hindu and Muslim women wear. You see, as a child, I remember that my mother would wear several bangles, each with intricate markings and engravings, and adorned with rosebud-shaped ends which I later learned are called cocoa pots. As she moved about, they would create a harmonious melody, even with the smallest movement. Whenever she was nearby, I knew I was in the presence of a strong and beautiful woman. You see, she taught me that some women wear multiple bangles, anklets, chains, and rings to indicate their wealth and their status. And while they were traditionally made in silver, most have since turned to gold. You see, these ornaments are more than just accessories. They represent love, marriage, and commitment. They are a reflection of the strength and resilience of women who had the courage to love deeply and to love unconditionally. But the beauty of the Sola Shungar lies in its ability to transcend time and space, connecting generations of women across cultures and continents. It is a reminder of our roots, of where we come from, and the rich cultural heritage that defines us. These traditions may have evolved over time, but their essence remains the same, to celebrate the beauty and power of womanhood. You see, in a world that's constantly changing, it's comforting to know that some things never lose their magic. And as I reflect on the significance of these precious adornments, I'm filled with gratitude for the women who came before me, who passed these traditions down, and for the ones who will carry them forward. In truth, these ornaments are more than just pieces of jewelry or symbols of wealth and status. They carry the stories of our ancestors, of my people, of us. After all, gold is our birthright. As we come to a close, we want to take a moment to express our sincere appreciation for the support from all of our listeners. Now, my name is Ryan Navinja Ramdin, and together with my partner, the artist Sarasati Ramprashad, we bring to you the Peppa Pot.
1: In this podcast, we explore the legacy of Indo-Caribbean people and the survivors of Indian indentureship. As children of the Guyanese diaspora, we are paying homage to our ancestral roots through this body of creative work.
0: So, What can you expect from the Peppa Pot? Well, join us on Sundays as Sarah Sati and I unpack the untold history of Guyana through narrative storytelling in Season 1. We share the story of Indian indentureship, discuss our experiences as first-generation Guyanese Canadians, and unapologetically confront some of the most pressing issues facing the Indo-Guyanese community.
1: As newcomers to the podcasting world, we're eager to hear your thoughts. What did you like about this episode? What do you want to hear more of? Your feedback is invaluable to us, so don't hesitate to shoot us an email at thepeppapot at gmail.com. Your encouragement helps us grow and learn more about you, our audience.
0: And for those of you who just can't get enough of our grand story, we encourage you to check out the resources listed in the description below. Who knows what stories and discoveries await you?
1: Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook at The Peppapot Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning into this episode and we'll see you again on the Peppa Pot next Sunday.